Hey out there, on today's episode I will touch on MS support groups, how temperature affects us MSers, and also have my conversation with Dave Gordon, a local MSer and Edmonton Oilers blogger. Stick around. Hey out there, thanks for listening to episode 3. I was uh, snooping around online today, as I do a couple times a week, just looking for, you know, articles and things about MS, just to check that I have all the latest info or see if there's a, you know, <laughs> maybe there's a cure and then everything's all good, right? Um, but no cure today, unfortunately. However, I did uh, see an article about a MS group in Myrtle Beach, California, where actually there uh, are a couple of local MSers there. Uh, have decided to start their own uh, support group on their own with the support of their local MS society. And it got to me thinking about, uh, you know, my conversation with Neil Blue, which will be coming up in a, a future episode of this podcast, and how he's talked about starting a, a mentor program, which I think is a, a great idea. I mean, I talked to, in a previous episode, I talked to Megan Cooper about the, the mentorship program, and, I, and I, I've never yet to talk to um, an ambassador that uh, didn't think it was a great idea. I mean, I think we all know how lonely it can be, especially when you first get diagnosed. And, um, and it's interesting today, you know, I'm reading this article about, uh, you know, these people in Myrtle Beach starting a support group, and then I happen to be checking Facebook, and I've got a... a, a an invitation from someone in the Young Adults with MS uh, in Greater Edmonton Facebook group for an event in September, uh, a meeting in September. And there wasn't a very lot of details. It looks like it's still to, to, to be announced, but, you know, it's exciting for me to get out there and talk to other people, uh, to socialize. I shouldn't say get out there and talk to it, to socialize with other MSers. Um, so I just find it very, very calming and therapeutic to know that I'm not on my own, I think, as a group where uh, a lot of us have a tendency to believe that sometimes that we're by ourselves when, you know, when we're not. Um, anyway, this group in Orwell Beach, they, uh, this gentleman, gentleman, Mr. Tate, who, who was uh, sort of the inspiration of the guy getting it going, um, he was talking about how uh, in their first meeting they're having a physical therapist come to talk to the group. Uh, and his quote was, uh, they found that exercise uh, for multiple sclerosis is extremely important. She, being the physiotherapist that's coming to talk to the group, is going to talk about how to determine what regimen is right for you because everyone with MS is so different. And that's true. I mean, we're all different. We all have different mobility issues, different uh, ways that the disease affects us, and it's not consistent for any of us across the board. So... You know, it would be important to um, tailor a, an exercise program to what you're able to do. Um, when people have reached out to me through my website or because of the really long run or whatever and asked me about training with MS, this is how I always look at it. I believe exercise is crucial. Not just from the, the physical component, uh, I mean, of having a, obviously having a healthier body, but I think mentally it's very important to, to, uh, to challenge yourself and try and, um, you know, improve what you can do physically, uh, even if it's just a little bit at a time. And, and what I always say is, 
you know, if it starts with trying to walk to the end, just walking to the end of the block, I mean, if that's a challenge for you, start with walking to the end of the block. And once you're comfortable with walking to the end of the block, try walking around the whole block. And then maybe you'll find that, you know, you get to the point where you're walking uh, 500 meters or a kilometer or two kilometers, not necessarily easy, but with more ease than when you started. And maybe you find that in six months or a year, you think, hey, I'm going to try a, a light jog. But just doing it slow and incremental and safely, um, I think, is the way to go for, for anyone with MS. I mean, obviously running an ultra marathon is a completely different kettle of fish altogether. But I'm, my, my point being is that, you know, you should at least try um, just, to, just to improve. Because it really does help mentally. I find that when I'm having... Uh, a bad day mentally, and getting out and going for a run elevates my mood, makes me feel better, makes me feel better about myself. Uh, I don't feel like a disabled person because I was just able to run, you know, say it's 10K or 15K or however long I went that day. And it's a positive thing I can do for myself. Um, so, yeah, I agree with this gentleman down in Myrtle Beach that, uh, you know, exercise is important. I think it's a great idea to have somebody like a physiotherapist come and talk to the group, and I think the MS groups in general, uh, interacting with other MSers is a, is a huge, has a huge impact. Uh, I know for myself, doing this podcast, talking to other people with MS, and, and being really honest, that not only is it, but is it been therapeutic for me, but it's made me realize some, uh, some things about myself and how I've been treating my disease and how I've been interacting with my disease. And it was pointed out to me, um, and you'll hear this, this in, in a future interview, it's the interview with Neil Blue that will be coming out uh, in a couple of podcasts' time. Um, you know, but he challenged me, and he made a good point. And his point was, is that, you know, I can't pretend like I don't have it. And, and that's one of the things that I do, is I try and act as though I don't. And what that does is it, People around me start to feel like, and they start to forget. And I've had people say to me, they forget that I, I have it. And, but so when I do have, a, you know, a bad day, you know, it, it's, uh, you can just tell. They wonder, like, well, there's nothing wrong with him. And there's just some of those, you know, those days where you just need an extra couple hours of sleep or you just need to, you know, not deal with things or whatever um so anyway it's it's been a really good experience for me you know having all this contact with other people with people with other people's ms and so i think these support groups are vital so i hope that uh i get a chance to go to this uh young adults uh with ms in greater edmonton event in september um and i wish the people in myrtle beach well i think that's that's awesome i think it's fantastic that they've gotten together and it's just adds more fuel to my fire to try and, uh, you know, keep doing this podcast and, and help people like Neil and others that want to get active and want to be, um, you know, want to help others in our community and, you know, get things moving and get support things in, in place. Um, so anyway, that's uh, enough about that. Another thing I looked at today and I found it, I, don't know, I wouldn't say I found it humorous, but a little bit humorous, um, is one of the th constant battles in my house is 
is about temperature and it's my wife's a very cold person and as uh, you know I'm one of those MSers that heat heats a trigger for me and I get very warm when I sleep so we have difficulty trying to find that happy balance I mean she'll be under duvet and I'll be having no blankets at all and she'll be under under a duvet you know blue lip teeth chattering and I'll be you know no no blankets on at all and just sweating and it's it's just to find that balance of where um where we both can be comfortable because even though I have MS I love my wife and she needs to be comfortable too so it's just finding a balance anyway I was looking at this uh this article posted by a a doctor Lassoff and I hope I pronounced that right um and how he was talking about and the name of the article is how temperature affects people with multiple sclerosis and you know one of the things that he mentions in the article is that between 60 to 80 percent of people with MS are sensitive to heat and that's probably not surprising if you're somebody who with MS listening to this chances are you fit into that category and you have some sort of sensitivity to heat mine's kind of weird though I mean I'm not it can be 30 degrees outside, 28 degrees outside, I'm fine. If I'm outside, I'm fine. If there's air moving around me, I'm generally okay. I can't be in a house that's warm with still air. I, I just can't. It makes me just go crazy. Um, you know, an example is my wife's parents, they like a warm house, and as does my wife. They, they just, they're... They just like a warm house, and some people do. I'm not one of those people myself, but they like a warm house. And when I, I remember when we first were, were dating, we went there for dinner, and I wore a sweater. And I, it was just a sweater. Like, I didn't have a T-shirt or anything underneath because it was wintertime. And, you know, but they keep their house at, like, 23, 24 degrees, and they've got in-floor heating. And with that in-floor heating, you know, the thing I don't... I could never have it because I, I don't mind a draft. And when, it, when you have in-floor heating in a, in a home, there's no place where there's no cold spots. You can't find one because every section of the floor is radiating heat. So, you know, it's middle of winter and I end up standing out in their deck for a few minutes to cool off. Um, and yeah, I'm just very, but for me, it's if, if I'm inside and it's warm, I can't, I can't seem to do it. But if, you know, if I'm outside, it doesn't seem to bother me. Um, I'm, I'm better in dry heat. Like growing up in Kamloops, it's a semi-desert. You know, you'd, hit, you'd have days in the high 30s there in the summer, and it was quite common. But it was dry there, so it didn't really bother me as a kid. Granted, I wasn't diagnosed yet, and I wasn't showing symptoms yet. Um, but even when I've gone back since, and if it's, you know, 30-plus degrees there, it doesn't bother me as much. Uh, for example, I was in Cancun. Uh, last March and very humid that's worse I, I the humidity gets to me but again if I'm outside and there's air moving around me I'm okay so um, anyway this article he he mentions in it you know they're trying to, to, to discover or describe why um, people with MS may have you know why this may be happening and what he mentions in it is that, and this is a quote, um, is that it could be a disturbance or a block in normal physiological nerve conduction members. And 
you know, it just goes on basically saying that any places where the myelin sheath have been damaged, they don't conduct um, the electrical signals back and forth in your nervous system. They can only conduct they can only conduct low frequency signals, and it's because of that that not all the information maybe need, needs to be going where it's going, and that could be the reason why we experience it. Um, he did, does mention that it does you know people that are sensitive to heat it does seem to um, worsen the symptoms. I know that's for me that's, that's definitely true. If I get overheated, the numbness gets a lot worse. It really it does a number on me. Um, but he also mentions that, uh, you know, the heat sensitivity could cause cognitive problems. So I know <laughs> if I get too hot in the house, I, I can blame any, any mistakes to my wife on the fact that I'm having cognitive problems because of my disease. And, you know, she may buy it or she may not. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. Um, but both those articles, I will leave a link on the blog for them uh, if you're interested in reading them. And, uh, yeah, and today... On today's episode, uh, it was a really great conversation. Um, the gentleman that I spoke to, his name's Dave Gordon, and how Dave and I met was online. It was one of those online kind of deals, but not like an online dating site, how it was, how it came to pass. Is Dave got diagnosed with MS about two years, no, not quite two years ago. And Dave is an Edmonton Oilers blogger, and him and a um, Another gentleman started a blog called DoOthersRank.com uh, a couple of years ago. And they got a great group of writers there. So if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, check it out, DoOthersRank.com. Great place to go for anything Oilers. And I occasionally post there too because I'm a, I'm a hockey junkie myself. And so anyway, Dave got, got diagnosed and he starts snooping around online, probably like we all do, you know, just looking for anything, looking for information. and Anyway, he came across my MS website, ownmultiplesclerosis.com, and he read a lot of the posts I was doing there, and, um, and he had sent me, and then he discovered through that website that I also was an Edmonton Oilers a blogger myself. I mean, I've been blogging at uh, a website called Oilers Addict for... A uh, number of years. I don't as much anymore. Um, it was definitely being a hockey blogger was definitely something that was a lot easier when uh, I was single and I didn't have children. And now that I've got two young kids and a wife, finding time to dedicate to it just uh, just isn't it just isn't there anymore. So it's just an occasional hobby thing now that I do. But anyway, he's discovered the ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Noticed through that website that I also have was a posted uh, post on a site called The Others Attic. And he thought, hey, I'm going to reach out to this guy. So he sent me an email explaining who he was and how he just got diagnosed. And um, and we just kicked off a relationship from there. And he ended up riding with me in the MS bike tour uh, this past May, or was that June? Sorry. And um, yeah, and he's a, he's a really, really great guy. So the conversation that we have is uh, we, we had it at uh, a Starbucks in Northeast Edmonton about uh, about a month ago. And I do apologize for some of the audio. I am definitely learning the, about picking my places where to record these things. Uh, we were sitting out in a patio on the odd time. You'll hear a Harley go by or you'll hear the bus or, and I apologize for that. I mean, you know, I'm new. I wasn't 
you know, I'm not trained on how to do this, so I apologize for that, but I managed to clean it up pretty good. So, you know, you can definitely hear what we're talking about. And we just talk about Dave's story and how he came to be on the podcast and how we got to know each other. And um, it was a really good conversation. It's been a really, and it's been a really, and Dave, if you're listening to this, it's been a really good journey getting to know you. Um, it's just, you know, as we both told each other, it's really helpful when you have somebody else that's going through the same kind of thing that you are. And, and you can reach out and, you know, just to have some, just having somebody there as support who knows what you're going through. Because um, I think one of the things that, again, if you're an MS and you're listening and you, you, you probably know what I'm saying when I say this, if somebody doesn't have the disease, they just don't know. I mean, they can try to understand, but they just don't know. And that's why it's really important. And back to the support groups when I, you know, at the opening of this, um, why I think they're important is because I really think that uh, um, you need those people in your life that understand what it is that you're going through. So, so Dave, here's the conversation with Dave. We talk about his journey, and we also talk a little hockey. So, if you're not a, <laughs> you know, if you're not a uh, huge hockey fan, when we started into the hockey talk. Um, the great thing about technology now is very easy to fast forward and just skip that part. Um, it's very apparent. It's, there is a segue into the hockey talk, so you can just fast forward and cut it out. So anyway, take a listen. So today I'm talking to Dave Gordon. Um, some of you may have heard of him through the OilersRig.com. And uh, the reason I'm talking to Dave is Dave was on my bike team for the MS Bike Tour this year, and we got to know each other online. And uh, Dave, it's the first time we've ever had somebody else on the bike team that uh, had MS as well, so I wasn't as alone. So uh, I'd like to thank Dave, Dave for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, Dave, why don't we start off by, why don't you just give us your story? Uh, well, I guess my story is about... One afternoon, I got out of my car, and I thought my feet were asleep, and that feeling didn't go away for a little while, so I went and saw my family doctor eventually, after a few days of uh, that, you know, the foot-asleep feeling kind of moving up my legs, and ended up uh, from my family doctor at the U of A hospital for a while, uh, all the tests, and yeah, it turned out uh, I was diagnosed uh, the whole period, probably from first symptoms to diagnosis, probably took about eight months, and yeah, diagnosed with uh, MS, and now, been living with it since. I know for me, um, when I first went into emergency, <clears throat> and they told me, you know, you're you're going to get tested for this, and they asked my family history and that, and the same thing. It was, uh, you know, a period of several months uh, between that and going through tests and MRIs. Uh, what was going through your head? Uh, at first, uh, when I went to the U of A, um, my family doctor made a call and I got rushed to the neurology department at the U of A, so I was terrified. I, I had no idea. He asked me if I wanted to go in an ambulance and, and I said no and I drove myself. And uh, I got there and all the tests and everything and the doctors, uh, they were confused. They weren't sure what was wrong and I ended up spending four days in uh, the neurology ward at the U of A. And I was, I, I was terrified. I thought, honestly, I thought I had cancer. I did. I thought, uh, years ago, an acquaintance of mine, he uh, had shoulder pain. And he went in, got a, an x-ray, and they found a huge 
tumor that showed up in an x-ray in his chest. And I thought, oh, oh, there it is. I said, I've got cancer. It's somehow affecting my spine, and that's why I can't feel my legs. So really, in the, in the end, the MS was probably a pretty positive outcome from what I was thinking. But the whole period, uh, the whole time, the doctors prepared me. They said, eventually, they said, okay, well, we think you might have MS. And even then, I didn't know anything about the disease. It was... Uh, it, it was just a pretty scary time all around, researching about uh, different treatments and, and, and different ways my life could possibly go and, and trying to prepare yourself for what's ahead. Um, so you're, you're not quite two years in since your diagnosis. Um, how's your head been? Uh, as far as like mentally, comes and goes. I have good days, I have bad days, I have good weeks, I have bad weeks. Um, I have great support structure at home, and, and that's probably key. Um, but the fatigue, I think, and Sean, you know what it's like, and anybody that has MS or knows people with MS that always complain, that not always complain, but they're tired. And that tired isn't just being tired. It's not like, oh, you stayed up too late. It's, it's you're exhausted. And sometimes from doing nothing. It doesn't so, matter how much you sleep, right? It's no, just, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah. You can sleep for 12 hours and, and get up and an hour later, go back to bed for 12 more hours. So the fatigue, I think, is what drains on me mentally. Like when I get tired, and especially from not doing anything, I was always very active. And now I, I, I can't go hard for a week doing a whole bunch of stuff, busy every day anymore. If I do that, that I'm, you can write off the next week. So that fatigue drains on a guy mentally. You just uh, making changes to things that you were used to normally doing is hard. And I think that probably comes with anything, not just with getting a diagnosis of MS. Uh, well, you golf today. How did I golf? Like, how's that different? <laughs> I golf today, and, and you know what? And I've got hockey tonight. But it took me, after the diagnosis, I probably didn't exercise for six months. Nothing. I, I, I was. I was, you could probably say, clinically depressed. I, I sat on the couch. I moped around. I, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't visit with people. Um, because I didn't think I could anymore. And then I just got to a point where I said, wait a minute, you know, I, I don't really feel that bad. Maybe I should try exercising. And then uh, I started running a bit, and then I met you and joined your bike team. So I started biking, and, and then finally this year, after two and a half years of not playing hockey, I played my first game a week ago, and I felt great. Like, I feel awesome after I exercise. But like I said, if I exercise too much, then there you go, back into that... Uh, fatigue state so you gotta watch and it's a big change well I know like you know just speaking of getting run down on that you mean Dave as you know uh, you know I did that really long run uh, it's the 23rd so two months ago and um, immediately after that two weeks later I did the bike tour with you and then right after the bike tour I had to fly around BC and Alberta for, for work and I had a minor minor flare up the week after and where I basically had to stay home from work one day and just sleep. And I don't know if we've had days like that where I just, it's all I need to do. I just need to go to sleep for 12 hours, 16 hours, and then uh, things start to write themselves. And my, the owner of the company I work for pulled me in his office. He said, so, you know, should I be worried? And I said, no, I just ran myself down, you know. It's, uh, and I'm an extreme case because I do extreme things. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of par for the course I didn't don't excuse the pun I always mentioned golfing but 
think it's kind of par for the course with MS, right? It's just kind of the way it, way it goes. Um, now, you have two daughters and a wife. How old are your daughters? Uh, nine and five, going on 16. <laughs> have they... Do they understand what's going on with Dad? My oldest does. She doesn't know a lot about this disease. Uh, she asks questions, and I tell her. Uh, she, She's kind of the one she'll push me. She'll say... Good for you, Dad, after I did the run, you know, stuff like that. Uh, doing the bike tour, Sean, you know, like, the only reason I even finished that bike tour, because the conditions that day were the worst, yeah. was because I knew that they'd be at the finish line waiting for me. So, they're supportive. My wife, of course, um, is as supportive as always. I don't think it would have mattered uh, if I was uh, with disease or without. It's, it's the same for her. And uh, she knows when I need a good kick in the ass, and mm-hmm. she also knows when I maybe she needs to tell me to go lay down and have a rest. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I understand you there. <clears throat> My wife will every now and then, especially if I'm getting mopey and sort of depressed, she'll be the first one to say, "Why don't you go for a run?" Because uh, she knows it'll make me feel better. But when you start, when you when you're in a fatigue state or a depressed state, it's kind of hard to get motivated to go. And uh, sometimes you just have to force yourself. Um, and if I want to have to force myself, it takes about 10 minutes of running, and then I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. Um, so why don't we talk about the bike tour? Because I know that was a pretty, uh, is powerful a good word to use for it? Yeah, probably the perfect <laughs> word to use for it. Um, so you and I had talked, Sean, lots prior to the bike tour. and But before that, I hadn't really met anybody on the team. And... Um, nor would I really met any other MSers. So uh, it was not the biggest, two biggest things for me are the amount of support that people with MS have because you and I are riding, you know, uh, maybe for ourselves, but I think for others as well with MS so we can help fundraise for a cure. But there were nearly 2,000 people there. I think there was over actually this year. So what I think at the end of the day, there was about 35 people that rode that had MS. You know, you can't MS. judge by the people that go on stage because we don't all go off on stage. That's true. Right? So, so. It, that was the most powerful thing, like seeing all those people that are supporting you and, and I, and, yeah. and they really are, whether they, they're not doing it directly, but it, they really are. They're trying to help us out, and that was it, pretty, like a bit of an emotional thing for me to try and get over and, and, and realize. And then the other thing was just a sense of accomplishment. Like, coming across that finish line after three and a half hours uh, from Leduc on the way to Camrose was probably one of the coolest feelings I've ever had because after, like I said, sitting at home for six months and not exercising at all, here I am, I just rode my bike 90 kilometers. And I did it. And and it was amazing. And then you you come to the finish line, and anybody that hasn't ridden ridden it before, you really should. It's just a great experience overall. But you come into the finish line... And there's people there cheering you on. They don't know you. They, you know, they don't you know you from someone they've never seen before. So to be able to to experience that, like the sense of accomplishment, and even though the next day, like I said, kind of wanted to give up a little, but for someone that at the time I hadn't been challenging myself enough to do that, like it made me realize I can pretty much do anything that I work for regardless of whether I'm a perfectly healthy human being or a perfectly healthy human being living with MS. Yeah, I think the big thing is if you want to do something, you just got to be stubborn about it. And 
you make up your mind you're going to do it and be damn what people tell you, you know. Um, and that's my that's my take on it. So, um, now you and I met in kind of an interesting way. Uh, I'd like to hear that, how, your, story, your side of that story. Well, so originally, like before we met in person, uh, I, I was newly diagnosed and researching MS and, and I came across your blog going on ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Uh, I read a whole bunch of your articles and still had a lot of questions, so I reached out to you and I sent you an email. And then uh, through a bit of email email correspondence, uh, realized that you were also a hockey blogger at OilersAddict.com. And so we had that mutual, two mutual things going for us right there. Uh, so and then as time went on, we kept saying we were going to meet, kept saying we are going to meet. Uh, the OilersRig.com does a fundraiser every year uh, for MS. And what we'd agreed as a group at the Oilers Rig was we were going to donate a portion of whatever we made at the fundraiser to your really long run. And uh, so after that was done, we finally managed to get together at an MS pub night. And then I presented you with a check for a thousand bucks from the Oilers, Oilers Rig and, and its readers, really. That's where the money comes from. And not only that, you and I got to sit and we're sitting with other uh, MSers. Patricia Jehuka was sitting there and we sat there and told each other's stories it was uh, you know it, it, again meeting MSers hearing their stories hearing that they're going through similar things as you uh, you and I are um, that was one thing it took a little while for me to cope with I kind of thought even though I knew I wasn't I'm the only one that's going through this yeah so yeah we, you know we met uh, at, at the pub night and then the next time we seen each other was the morning of the ride and we ended up spending three and a half hours together pretty much the whole way yeah, I, think, I think I think we talked hockey two hours of that three hours oh at least yeah um, I don't think we solved all the Oilers problems that day but maybe a few yeah um, yeah I found that that pub night that we went to um, and actually this might surprise you to know this has really been over the last year this has been the really the first time I've really interacted with the people other people outside of the blog I mean with people from the MS society I mean I've done the bike tour but I didn't really engage with the MS Society. I just signed up, got you know, raised my money, went, did the bike ride, and uh, so that uh, actually sitting in the pub with you that night with um, with, with uh, Patricia, um, it's one of the first times I've ever really engaged and had that type of conversation with other other MSers. And I don't know how you found it, but well, I guess you just said. I mean, it. it, it it was nice to know that you're not on an island by yourself and uh, you know there's other people with the same struggles and challenges and everything that you, that you have so uh, now I should note to, to anyone who's listening is the reason why it's kind of noisy is we're sitting on a on a Starbucks patio in northeast Edmonton so uh, you have to excuse the Harleys and trucks and things going by uh, now you know, personally, what are you? How are you? How are you managing the disease? What are you doing for treatment? For treatment, uh, I'm taking uh, drug mod or disease modifying therapy, uh, Avanex. It's a once a week injection, and it, that's actually going fairly well. So between my last two MRIs, I did have six new lesions, except none of them are active. 
So that right now, the disease is actually on hold. I have got no active lesions on did my they, brain. Did they use the word remission, or they just said on hold? On hold. Okay. No active disease uh, was the word that my neurologist used. So huge news. Uh, after the bike ride, actually, and like you said, you had you wore yourself down, and you had a bit of uh, a very small relapse. Well, for about a month, I was completely numb from the bottom of my feet up to about the middle of my torso. And I... And I I, for on, I honestly thought, I said, okay, well, this is the new me. Like, this is, I'm going to have to get used to this because it lasted a whole month. And, and I said, okay, I got to get used to it. Then one day I woke up and it was gone. But again, I think that's from, from running yourself down. Um, now, people with MS, the ones I've met, tend to make a lot of changes in their life, whether it be diet, uh, exercise. And like I said, said earlier and, and repeatedly that it took me a while to realize that I can exercise, but I'm in the last probably 16 months, maybe less, 12 months, I'm down 15 pounds. I've been eating better, not perfect. I still hit McDonald's every now and then. Um, so I've been trying to live a bit healthier lifestyle. I'm exercising more. I'm still riding the bike. I'm, I'm back running again. And like I mentioned, I'm playing hockey. So, so you're running. So you're going to run with me next year? I'll run a portion of, with you next year. I'm not running 82 kilometers. Um, you know, actually, I, I set a goal, and and you just mentioned it. If you, if you put your mind to something, and I wrote an article actually on onmsmultiplesclerosis.com a while back about goals. You do for another one, by the way. I am due for another one, um, but about writing goals or setting goals, and and I set a goal to be able to run 10 kilometers without stopping by October. So, what are you up to right now? Three. It's not bad. It's a start. So I'm hoping to be at five, you know, in the next probably two, three weeks. And then from there, you, it seems run, to get do easier. you use anything in your water? Are you just using straight water? Straight water right now. Uh, one trick I learned, and I, I swear by it now, and I couldn't believe it. And I just, had my, I just, I just convinced my wife of this just a couple weeks ago. When I was training for the really long run, I got to the point where I was running like 20 to 25. And I found that after 25, I couldn't, that was it. That was the, that's when the wall hit and it was just, I couldn't go past it. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what I was doing wrong. And exchanged it with my neurologist because he's a distance runner as well. He said, well, what are you using for your electrolytes? What are you using for your, you know, for your energy and stuff? I said, what do you mean? I just got my water bottle. And he basically said, well... He basically said, you idiot. <laughs> you, uh, he didn't use the word idiot. I'm using that word. But um, you need to make sure you're topping up your electrolytes as you go. And you have to take in energy, you know. You're, and then the simplest way I can put it is your body's just like a car. There's no gas in it. It's not going to go anywhere. Well, as you're running, you burn through your gas. And the electrolyte taps make an unreal difference. Well, I can attest to that because on the bike ride, uh, you gave me one of those tabs oh, yeah. after uh, the lunch stop, yeah. not far, maybe five, six kilometers down the road because I started cramping up. And not five minutes after having one of those tabs, I was good to go again. So yeah, no, I should look into it and, and I definitely will, especially like three, four, five kilometers. That's not so bad. I, I've done that before. Depends on what you sweat. Okay. Uh, and, and the heat. Yeah. But uh, Definitely, like for the longer distance bike rides that I've been doing, that's probably something to really look at because I can get to I get to about the forty-five kilometer mark on the bike, and that's I've I've had enough, and the body doesn't want to go similar to your twenty-five kilometers 
running the 45 kilometer on the bike and my legs are saying yeah no more now how about now have you made any dietary modifications and the reason why i ask is and you and i've talked about this not while we're recording but um there seems to be a recurring theme in the ms world versus the diet people versus the you know i follow my neurologist people and uh i happily sit right in the middle i've made dietary modifications but i'm more than happy to follow the recommendations of my doctor um so have you tried any of that have you looked at any of it um yeah i've looked i to say i've really made a big change no probably not um i'll still have my steak once a week uh but my wife has always been a healthy cooker Mm -hmm. so as long as i'm eating her food I, i know i'm good yeah. Uh, it's uh, I'm a shift worker as well, so I find that's actually one of the biggest adjustments is is trying to adjust not for MS but for just a, more, a healthier lifestyle, especially a healthier diet. Is with shift work, it's so easy on the way to work on a night shift to stop at McDonald's and grab a cheeseburger and a coffee and, and off you go. Oh sure. Yeah. So the biggest thing has been changing what I'm eating for snacks because as a shift worker, and if any shift workers are listening, they'll know. Sometimes your meal times, which is something they say should be reasonably consistent, are all over the place. So it's making sure that when I pack my lunch, I'm packing healthy food. Avocado is something I eat a ton of. And if I work like a lot of overtime, uh, because my shift work, the way it works, I, I get an equal amount of days off that I work. So if I work five days, I'm generally off for the following five days. So if you, even if I am tired, I get a couple days to recover. Do you like, do like five twelves? Is that kind of Yeah, like, it's okay. all 12-hour shifts. So there's ways to recover. Um, but if I'm working a lot of overtime, and in fact, my first symptoms came about working a shutdown uh, or a turnaround, and anybody that's worked a shutdown or a turnaround in the oil industry knows you're working straight through. We're working six days on, one day off, 12-hour shifts. So and you work out Shell and Port Saskatchewan. Yeah, out of Shell and Port Saskatchewan. So that's when my first symptoms came. So I think it coincides. So I've got to be careful with... Uh, making sure I'm not working too much. The one good thing is about Shell is, is, is they have an absolutely great health department. And not only that, they, they've just been so good to me as far as uh, accommodating, similar to your job, like if I'm tired or if for some reason I can't work a 12-hour shift, which has never happened, but they've always said, just come let us know and, and we'll make adjustments for you, which is something really that I didn't expect. Uh, coming from a previous job where I know it would not have been the same, I, I got pretty lucky there for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you, for me, you keyed on something that's very important. For me, managing the disease is having a, a supportive employer um, where, I, you know, when I've had to take a day off. But, I mean, I joke with my boss all the time that I take less sick, sick, day, sick days than most people. I mean, most people on our, our staff take far more sick days than me. The unfortunate thing about that, and hopefully none of them will ever listen to this, for, for them, most of it's self-inflicted. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're carrying around, you know, uh, a lot of extra weight or, uh, you know, and I see the, I see our fridge at lunchtime and it's, uh, if you, I guess some people call it food, I wouldn't, but, um, so I think having a supportive workplace, but it's also how you, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, how you treat yourself. So, Absolutely. And, and as far as workplace goes, like the good thing is for anybody that's living with MS, uh, well, you don't have to tell your employer, number one. You don't have to. 
Um, you might help have to talk to somebody in the health department. So, so it's up to you whether you want to or not. But there's laws there to protect you that if you need to take time because of the disease, you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, how each employer deals with that is, is a little bit different. But everybody should know that they can and there's, there's programs in place no matter where you are to be able to, to keep your employment with reason and and still be able to manage your, the disease, manage your symptoms. Yeah, well, I, my, my employer's been great that way. And, uh, but I have a different kind of job, as I've told you. I set my own schedule. So are you generally feeling pretty optimistic? Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, I, I am now, like I said. So I, I went through probably a good six-month period where doom, is, doom and gloom and... I realize so. So you and I sitting here talking about, about having MS is there's people that can't go for a run. There's people with MS that can't go for a walk. So you and I, as far as the disease is concerned, are probably pretty lucky. Oh, we got it um, easy. Yeah, we really do have it easy. So, so that's something I try and remind myself. The days where I'm blah or uh, woe is me, and say, no, wait a minute, Dave you don't have it that bad. And to go back to where we started our conversation, thinking I had cancer to having MS, sure, MS is not curable, but it's more manageable than something like cancer is. So, really, like I said, we're just, we're pretty lucky to be where we are. And Now, did you find, you know, you, you kind of touched on it a minute or two ago, but when you got diagnosed and you talked about, well, you don't necessarily have to tell your employer or, uh, did you find it hard to tell people? Were you ever in the closet? Not, maybe for a short time, uh, obviously family and close friends first. And then, you know what, if people asked, then I'd tell them. Like, I, I, I'm definitely not ashamed of it. Um, I don't feel... Like I should be treated any differently than anybody else. Obviously, Works made a few concessions to, so that I can still do my job. Um, that on days, so Avanex for me, I get a pretty strong reaction, um, side effects day after I take my injections. So Wednesday day shifts, I, I take my Tuesday night shifts, I take my injection. Wednesday day shifts, I don't work. And works okay with that. So, of course, you know, when they ask and people say, well, how come you never work Wednesdays? Because I was embarrassed about that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, every one Wednesday a month, I'm missing work. And, and I was kind of embarrassed. And, and people started, you know, I'm sure people are going, oh, Dave's missing all this work and it's always on the same day. So if people ask, well, what's wrong or, or how are you doing? Yeah, I had no problem telling them. And, and actually, a bit of it was actually kind of therapeutic for me. And... I, whether people have a right to know or not, no, I don't think so. But I, I've got no issues in this. Uh, if people know of people knowing that I'm uh, living with MS, so if I did, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you about it today. Well, the reason why I ask is just that I, I have met uh, I have met a few MSers who um, initially weren't comfortable anyone knowing. I mean, they literally were in the closet to sort of borrow that term. But uh, and for me, I know. Initially, I was similar to you. I, I mean, I didn't advertise, um, but I didn't shy away from it. Um, and how it came about at work was just organically. It just eventually, you know, I had to, you know, if I had to book a morning off for an MRI or 
what have you. I mean, um, but it was never, you know, where I sat the people that I worked with down and said, oh, by the way, you know. Right. I mean, they know now it's, uh, especially with the last year, uh, obviously I've become more public uh, and that. So, and there was a few people at work that didn't even know. They didn't find out that they saw me on the news, mm-hmm. like, which was kind of weird where they, you know, popped their head in my office the next day, like, I didn't know you had Well, yeah, I do. Uh, by the way, donate some money to my run while you're at it, you know. Um, now, shifting gears, I can't imagine doing one of these with you without talking a little hockey, just non-MS stuff. Uh, so, right now, top three things you think the Oilers need to do. Need to do? Yeah. Um, they need to sign another defenseman. They're not set yet there. Uh, they've made a couple, well... A good addition, I think, in uh, Sakara. He's not a number one guy by any means, but they need another top four defenseman in there. Darnell Nurse is still young. He's going to be a rookie this season. I don't think he's... Actually, I said today, I, I'm scared he's going to get injured playing a full season against men because he plays the game so hard. Man, he's fast. And he's so fast that he's going to, until he starts to get that, and we call it man strength. Yeah, he's a little wirely still. Little I, I, I think he could be a risk for injury this season. Um, they've added a few defensemen, but not enough. Uh, sounds like, well, today, as just before we recorded this, the Oilers signed Justin Schultz. It's a move I hate, but we can't do much more about yeah, but now that. now the buyout window's open. But now the buyout window's open, and that's sort of, kind of where I was going. So Nikita Nikitin is a good option for buyout. If you can buy out a guy like him and bring in a guy like Cody Franz and even an older Christian Erhoff, Christian Erhoff someone that can help you for a few years while you let your rookies uh, mature in the system. As far as this, that's the first thing, so more defense. As far as the third thing is, second thing, <laughs> skipping ahead, um, the second thing is battle. I just want to see where the competitions come out. Like there's uh, going to be a goaltending competition this year. Yeah, do you think Scrivens is just pissed right now? Oh, he should be. I hope he is. Yeah, I hope he is too. Um, it'd be Maybe it's the motivation he needs for that 1A, 1B that the Oilers expected to have last year with uh, Ben Scrivens and Victor Fassel. I know it's not supposed to happen, but it wouldn't bother me because I like, his, I like him as a person. Is that Scrivens got pissed off and he stole the start and dropped the start next season? That wouldn't bother me at all. No, no, I don't think it'd bother anybody. And like, like I said, competition. Uh, there is some competition along the forwards this year. Uh, there's definitely, there's probably, even with Nikitin in the lineup, there's eight NHL defensemen. So there's only room for six of those. Mm-hmm. So there's good competition. That's something we haven't seen as Oilers fans, uh, as avid watchers of the Oilers in a long, long time. So. It's nice. And then the third thing they have to do is just win games. <laughs> Impress us. Uh, don't yeah. be out of the playoffs at the end of November. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to still see them still in a race in the middle of February. That would be improvement for me. Oh, sure. Well, now on your first point on defense. So, you know, would you be okay with Seabrook at 7 times 7 8 times 8 You know, do you think that's a good idea? Seven times seven, yes. For Eight a, years. For he's a thirty-year-old guy. You know what? Yeah, yeah, I would because first of all, he's easily he comes in here as the Oilers' number one defenseman. Um, number two, he at, at, at a seven-year contract that brings him to what I think thirty-eight years old at the end of his deal. If his performance slips, he's still Brent Seabrook. At the trade deadline, you will be able to get value for him 
whether it's only a couple of picks in the seventh do you buy year. In, do you buy into the argument at all? And it's not me. This isn't my argument. It's just one that I've read. Do you buy into the argument at all, but he's never been a number one defenseman? No. No. No, I don't. He's... It's remember kind of in the playoffs a couple years ago when Jonathan Taves was rattled and took that really bad penalty and Seabrook went into the penalty box and calmed him down? Seabrook's a leader. He can handle 25, 30 minutes a night. He's done it in the past. Sure, he doesn't have Duncan Keith beside him. But you got a guy like Sakara if you have... But that could be the flip side. I mean, it could be Keith does now doesn't have Seabrook beside him, right? Right. Um, I think Keith is, if not the best player overall in the NHL, he's definitely the best defenseman. But no, Seabrook would be just fine on his own. Did you hear that stuff about Keith's VO2 when he was in college? The VO2 test when they stick you on that really steep treadmill and they shove those tubes down your throat to see how your lung capacity. And it was just off the charts. Oh, I believe like it. Like he still, I, I think he still has the school record. He he could still be playing right now. Like he, if someone didn't tell him that the cup, the Hawks already won the cup, he'd still be out on the ice. Like, yeah, it's, they, it's okay that Chicago only plays a four defense. They could play just one. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. The Oilers are going to be interesting going forward. Talbot, what do you think? I love it. Uh, out of all the goaltending picks, and I wrote about this, uh, out of all the options for goaltending out there, he was my number one all along. He was the one guy that I would have had my set, my eyes set on. The other one would have been Eddie Lack out of Vancouver, but getting Talbot. Um, we hear the rumors before the draft about what the Rangers and Glenn Sather are asking for Cam Talbot. And to have, like, a first-round pick. They wanted a first-round pick. And then to have the deal they made, I think that uh, Peter Shirelli, our new GM, just absolutely stole the show there. Okay, well, flip, I'm going to flip that on you now. You know exactly what I'm going to bring yeah, up. So first-round pick goes for goes for Reinhardt. What do you think? Overpay. Uh, that was definitely my first reaction. I think it still is. Um if you're giving up a first-round pick in a draft that's said to be as deep as it was in 2005, where top 30 picks are still in the NHL all over the place, and the Islanders pick Barzell, who looks to be a good player, I think it's an overpay. Griffin Reinhardt definitely has to develop into a top-four defenseman for that trade to work out. So it's too early to tell now. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I... I've been I've been kind of chuckling to myself over the last few days because there's been a lot, a lot written about our fourth line. You know, we lose a center that's been on a 29th and a 29th place team, and people are losing their minds. You know, on the fourth line center, it's like, well, <laughs> I, I, it's just funny to me. The guy that you know that's been basically playing as our fourth line. But anyway, um, I think with the uh, Reinhardt deal, I've also been kind of chuckling because I mean, yeah, I can understand why people see it as an overpay. But don't we have to wait a couple of years to see? So I think we do, and, and and I mentioned that. But I think one of the things about the overpay is he gave up not only the number 16 pick, but also the number 33 pick. Uh, when I was watching the draft that day, and the Oilers, Gary Bettman came up to the podium and said, we have a trade. The Oilers trade the 16th and 33rd pick. As soon as I said the, they said the 33rd pick, I said, oh. I said, we're getting a player here. And then we got Griffin Reinhardt. And it's not to say that Griffin Reinhardt's not a player. But you, I would have expected that those two picks oh, me too. in this draft would have been a worth a lot more 
than Griffin Reinhardt. Even though, go back, he's a, he's a fourth overall pick. We gave up less for Talbot, and Talbot was supposed to, you know, you would have thought they would have paid a higher price for him. Exactly. Right. So, so put those two de- deals together. If you trade, you know, the, the picks that they traded to the Rangers and the picks that they traded to the Islanders, and you're getting Talbot and Reinhardt back, it's probably not that bad of a deal. The last one of this question, Yakupov, what happens with him this year? I think now, so you see, we got we have a new coach, and and I don't know him, his style that well. Although my wife and, and you know this, I think is a huge San Jose Sharks fan, so I have watched a lot of their games. I think Yakupov is going to get a real big chance to play top minutes with the Oilers this year. I, I remember your wife when we were talking about Brett Burns, and she was getting mad at us. Oh, so mad! <laughs> she gets so angry. But I think Yakupov could end up on a line with Connor McDavid this year. Because Yakupov... Now that's a lottery line I want to see. Hall, McDavid, and Yakupov. And I think it's a perfectly good idea. I, I, I really do, because if you watch Yakupov, yes, he's not the best defensively. In fact, he's been pretty terrible over his years. Can I ask you a question, Mark? Am I crazy in saying this? And I could be. And it wouldn't be the first time, right? You know who Yakupov reminds me of? Not Pavel Bure, not He reminds me a lot of Brett Hall. A guy who really can't do much for you except for score. Yeah. And if he's not scoring, he's not doing much. And and the reason why I say that, the reason why I picked Brett Hall, Brett Hall wasn't a dangler. He was a one-shot, put it in my wheelhouse, I'm going to tee it up from, right? That's a pretty good analogy for him, I think. I, oh, if he turns out to be Brett Whatever, Hall. Brett, Brett Hall in Calgary, right? Exactly. I was going to say, Calgary traded Brett Hall. You never know what will happen. But he's the guy. He gets to open spots. A lot of the times, you watch him last year, and he gets to open spots, and guys just don't see him. Connor McDavid is a guy that's going to see him. Oh, yeah. That's going to see him in those open Seeing spots. Seeing him live at that development game? It was amazing. I know it was a development game. I get that, but... At that point, though, I went to the World Juniors in Toronto last year, and, and I saw him play quite a few games, and I was amazed at his talent. And this is coming off a broken hand, hadn't played a game in two and a half months, and he was tied. Uh, Max Domi won the forward of the tournament, best forward. I didn't think he should have. He did have the most points, but every time Connor touched the puck, he made stuff happen on the ice. Yeah, but it's, I was amazed. It's never a tournament where a seventeen-year-old's going to get the best line mates, the best ice time. It's just, it's exactly right. So it's a, it's a nineteen-year-old tournament. We all, everyone knows that. But I just, I look at Yakovov and I, and I, and I wonder. Uh, I mean, I remember I wrote a blog about this sometime last year on Oilers Addict, I think which means that nobody, probably no one read it, um, where I wondered if trading Yakupov wasn't like Calgary trading Brett Hall way back when. Now, I'm not suggesting that I think Yakupov's got an 86-goal season in him. I don't think anyone does now. No, not uh, anymore. But can I see him popping 40 goals in the right situation? All day long. So I've said this. When people talk about trading Yakupov, Sure, go ahead, trade him. The return better be big, which it won't be right now because his value is low. Uh, but he's going to go somewhere and be a 30-goal scorer consistently. He's going to have a career in the NHL. I hope it's with the Oilers, especially on, like, you know, for all we say about Craig McTavish uh, being a poor GM, 
Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Jordan Everly all at $6 million a year. That's an absolute steal for those three players. Yeah. And a two-year bridge deal at $2.5 million per for Neil Yakupov looks absolutely great right now. Yeah, if he gets 25 goals both years. Yeah. And then you either trade him for great value or you he's another player on your list that you're going to have to pay five, six, seven million dollars to. Okay, last last thing um, before we wrap this up. Uh, what do you want people to know about MS? I guess just people to educate themselves. You know, a lot of people, and, and I was the same way. So before I was diagnosed, I didn't know very much about the disease. When I What I did know about the disease, I automatically assumed wheelchair. Someone that can't function. Um, the majority of people with MS can function just fine. In fact, when you're out at a mall, you probably walk by people every day living with MS. Um, it, it's a very common disease, and it can be awful at times. But it's, it's manageable, but there is no cure. So I guess the biggest thing I want to know is if people that are listening, if they don't have MS... The reason that we do so much talking and, and, and make raise awareness and raise money is so that we can find a cure because it can be a terrible disease. For me, for the most part, I, I function just as normally as everybody else. I, I'm not. I might have a disease, but I'm not disabled. That that's kind of what I want everybody to know. Awesome. Uh, well, if anybody wants to check out Dave talking about the Oilers, they can either go to theoilersrig.com. Or they can find him on Twitter at, at @rustyknuckler. Uh, I want to thank you for doing this for me, Dave. Uh, I appreciate it. And, Thanks for having uh, me, Sean. So we're coming to the end of episode three. Uh, I'd really like to thank Dave Gordon for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, once again, I really apologize for the audio. I really need to plan my interviews better, and obviously. The patio next to a busy road is not the best place to do one, so uh, I'll plan better in the future. Anyway, next up in two weeks' time will be my conversation with Joe Riling, so I hope you listen to it then. Mm-hmm.